0: You struggle with sexual temptation? Do you deal with continual bouts of shame and guilt because you fail in this area of your life? Where do you go to share those struggles that you have? Have you ever shared it with anybody? If you have a secret, if there's a hidden part of your life that you hope nobody will discover, I want you to hear Dr. Lena's story today. Yesterday, we talked about just showing up. That your greatest ability is your availability to God to let Him use you. There's another ability that we talk a lot about on this daily conversation, and that is vulnerability. When you're vulnerable, it gives others permission to be real, to be honest, to be open. And when you're vulnerable, you allow others to not feel so alone in whatever they're going through. Dr. Lena Abujamra has written one of the most vulnerable books I have ever read. And I think her vulnerability is going to encourage you today. Let's get started. Our team behind the scenes consists of, but is not limited to, these individuals. Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trisha's is our producer. Lynn will be answering your calls today. Here's another person behind the scenes, Estella in Indiana. And look, there's Jennifer in Alabama and William in Georgia. All three gave a gift either today or yesterday to the program. All three are first-time donors. Thank you, friends, for doing that. And all three are going to clobber clutter because we're sending them Dana White's book organizing for the rest of us. Dana writes as a fellow clutter struggler, she'd tried all the advice and her house was still a mess and she did the hard work. She went out and found 100 doable, down-to-earth, sustainable strategies for decluttering. If that's an issue for you, friend, you're not alone. I want to send you Dana's book. Call or click through with a gift, 866-95-FABRY, or you can go to chrisfabrylive.org. I think we have five days left, if my math is correct. Don't put it off. And may you clobber your clutter with great success in the coming weeks, because of organizing for the rest of us. Again, 866-953-2279 or go to chrisfabrylive.org and thanks for being a back Fence friend or a partner with us today. Dr. Lena Abujamra is a pediatric ER doctor who now practices telemedicine. She's a podcaster, conference speaker, Bible teacher. She founded Living with Power Ministries to provide medical care and humanitarian help to Syrian refugees and others in disaster areas. She hosts a radio program. She's the author of several books, including Fractured Faith, and our featured resource today, creatively titled, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, a Christian Doctors' Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Dr. Lena, welcome back. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, Chris, it's always so much fun to be back with you and even uh, talking about uncomfortable things, but thank you for having me on.
0: Well, you are very vulnerable, and I'm going to do something here I I try not to do because I don't usually, I don't like to put disclaimers on the program to scare people away, but I think all that really does is to make people, (laughs) why are you having to disclaim this? I want to hear. (laughs) Uh, But if you're a parent and you have young children who are listening and you're uncomfortable with them hearing about Uh, Sexual struggles, pornography-related issues. That's our topic today. Uh, So parents, I just want to tell you that, and I'll do that throughout the program, because I want you to be as vulnerable as you want to be, uh, Lena, given the constrictions of of Christian Mm. radio in the middle of the day. You know, I'll just leave it with that. Right. But there must be a reason why you felt that at this time you needed to write a book like this. Tell me why.
1: You know, I hit a tipping point, I think, one day a few months ago, uh, and I had you know it was a it was a, in the aftermath of reading many big names of people that I had listened to and respected in ministry who utterly and profoundly imploded because of sexual sin. And this was different than, you know, back in the eighties, Jim Baker, and the stuff that you would hear, you know, it turned into SNL, you know, Saturday Night Live skits. It just felt like it was getting closer to home and it was the unexpected, like people that you thought, no, surely not. And and finally, the tipping point was one story that I heard that just, it was someone that I knew. It was a worship leader that I respected, and I knew enough of his story to know that there was uh, some past years before marriage, some issues that were dealt with. And then as a, as a result, he was walking in obedience and writing worship songs that had moved me. He was probably my favorite worship person at, uh, in, in, in my circle of, of church. And he had had uh, a story that is public uh, and it became public in that time. And something broke in me where I realized, like, we're not doing this right. I don't understand how. Here we are. I mean, I'm 51 now. I've grown up in the church. I spent the bulk of my life in the United States, but really heavily influenced by Christian teachers, Christian radio, in ministry. And the, under, the reality that like you could be functioning in a church, leading, honoring God, writing things that move people and still have a secret part of your life that ends up exploding and imploding and everyone watching going, what is this about Christianity? And it just felt like we're just not speaking clearly enough. And I'm, of course, my background is pediatric emergency medicine. So by the way, I'm very sensitive to also presenting this in a way that I know my nephew's, you know, always one year on the radio, he's nine. And and so I I understand that tension. But but it felt like I needed to write something like the conversations that I have with people in the ER. But also the reality of it. And when I was sort of venting to my friend and agent, Don Pape, who's amazing and who happened to know this person, and I was first of all verifying, is this real? Can it truly be true? Um, I was so worked up about it. And his response to me, I think kiddingly was, well, you should write a book about it. And you, of course, like who in their right mind wants to write about sex? I mean, come on. I already wrote the book. Nobody wants to write about singleness. And, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. First of all, I'm single. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I've never married. So and I've been as obedient you know, as I could to the Lord. So, you know, again, not to overstate this, but I believe the teachings on the Bible that if you are single, you're to remain chaste until marriage. So, you know, I hadn't outwardly had a dirty story, so to speak, but the spirit of God spoke as loudly as I've ever heard him in that moment. And I knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was my destiny. And so I, it was like a Tetris puzzle where I felt like if anyone can write about this first because of the way that I am able to address topics that are uncomfortable, because of my 25 years of ER, you know, medicine. And secondly, because of my own baggage, because whoever's listening, do not be fooled. Every one of us has a heart that has been marred by sin because of Adam and Eve and the fall. And we all have temptations. And the question isn't, Whether there are temptations, but what we do with them. And everyone has thought things and done things that are a little more than they ever thought they would. And either we shove it under the rug or we ignore it until it's not doable. And I knew that because I had a job in medicine and I wasn't, I was an independent agent, a free agent, so to speak, I had the freedom to say things in a way that others couldn't. And honestly, Chris, I was sick of it all. I was sick. Did you ever just get a point where you look at the world and go, no more, no more, Satan? It just felt like like we have been brutalized by the evil one, you know, just like constant sexualization and temptation thrown at us. We used to be able to to protect, like you wouldn't go to the store down the street or you wouldn't, you know, there was warnings on TVs. Like if you watched the show before a certain time, you wouldn't be exposed to certain things or you had to get HBO to see it. And now it's like every single place we turn, it's like sex, 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 sex. And you're just, you can't take it anymore. And so even an innocent bystander is affected by the bomb that falls down the street, right? Because there's shrapnel. And it's felt like as a Christian, that's the image that I had, like enough. It's time to say things clearly and to use a story that I knew well to say, I can speak into this because this is my story. And I don't care what everybody thinks about me. What I care is, Lord, what do you think about me and what do you want to do in my life and so it's time to tell my story in a way maybe that I had flirted with before that I'd sort of insinuated in my b- books when you read about you know that my story i think you can go back now and be like oh yeah but it was time to do it maybe a little bit more 2023 i yeah. think that's the best way i would say it
0: the book is titled don't tell anyone you're reading this it's by dr lena abujamra a christian doctor's thoughts on sex shame and other troublesome issues So when we come back, we're going to talk about some of those things that she reveals. It's part memoir and it's part just nonfiction looking at what's going on in the culture. I think you're going to be encouraged by her story and we'll continue straight ahead on Moody Radio. Don't tell anyone you're listening to Chris Fabry Live today because Dr. Lena Abujamra is with us, Pediatric ER Doctor, and she's written, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, a Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Here's a quote from the book. I've spent my entire adulthood trying to convince myself that I don't have a problem with sex. But why would I spend so much energy on something that wasn't a problem? Uh, so Leah's got to be honest and vulnerable and open. And if you're a parent and you have young children and you're driving home from school, I'm just telling you, we're going to talk openly and honestly. It may, to be honest with you, it may open you know, avenues of talking with your kids about things that you haven't talked with them about that you want to. So I just want to tell you that here in the middle of the day. Um, is, that, is that true that you have tried your whole entire life, adult life? Trying to convince yourself that you don't have a problem with sex.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know I grew up in a in a Baptist church, gave my life to Jesus at a young age, on, wanted to honor the Lord. Like I remember, you know, the desire to obey. So I'm not, you know, honestly, I've I've written this book for people like me, people who surrendered to Jesus, convinced he's the one, and aimed my life in you know after high school to go and pursue whatever it was that God wanted me to pursue believed in no sex before marriage, believed the Bible taught no sex before marriage. I now understand the purity culture of the 80s, but I grew up in Lebanon in the 80s. We moved in 87. And so, well, into the 90s and 2000. And so I don't know that I was marred by the purity culture, which if you're listening and you're not familiar, that that was, purity culture was this era in the US where, you know, the Joshua Harris era, I would, you know, overarch, you know, label it in a macro way of saying that was the era when you were told, like, if you honored God with your you know body and you didn't do certain things before marriage, then God would give you the, I guess for me, the man of your dreams, you know, and, um, and your soulmate and all those promises that, Ended up being really empty because that's not God's way. I mean, it's not a tit for tat, we're not in a contract with God. Like if we obey Him, he'll do certain things. But but there was that shadow over all of us, I think, in that era of sort of believing somehow that if I just, you know, don't do certain things with, you know, in my dating life. And for me, I mean, it was easy because my parents didn't really give us a lot of freedom to date. My dad's rule was you become a doctor first and then you can date. And so, in a way, I felt like because of that, like I was off the hook. But I had a secret life, in a sense, a secret place where all sorts of sexual sin grew. In fact, you know, when I wrote up that statement in the book, you know, I, I, I talk, I, I, the context is I'm talking to my therapist and I say to her, for someone who doesn't have a sex life, I sure spend a lot of time thinking about sex. And her response was so on. She says, you do have a sex life. You just don't have a healthy and fulfilling one. Hmm. I think this is immensely wise because... I do believe God has created us sexual beings. Like it's not, you don't overcome sexual sin by saying, Oh, I just don't have a sex life. That's that's silly. We're humans, we're created with hormones. We are meant to function a certain way. And and um, but yet we're broken and we know that in Christ before Christ. We we are born in a broken world. And I don't think we fully understand what that means and how the process of crucifying that flesh, how intense that is in life. I think we think the moment we say yes to Jesus somehow, all our previous desires just dissipate. And then it's like, oh la 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 la, everything's great and happy. But but then you wake up with yourself and you kind of go, well, why do I still get mad? And why do I still overeat? And why do I still want to watch these things and enjoy, you know, acting out in a certain way sexually and on and on and on. And I think I, I don't think I think we 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 give ourselves ourselves a respectable label. If we're not committing the really bad stuff, if we don't have same-sex attraction, if we're not you know, trans or desire to be a different sex, now that would be the era that we're living in. Back in the 80s, it was like, oh, if you didn't divorce, you were really good. But if you didn't divorce, that didn't mean that you had a healthy sex life or a God-honoring sex life. And so all of those nuances, I think, um, ha- I've had to understand and grow in understanding but as a but but moving aside from all the theory what that looked like in practical life because I think you know when you're sort of thinking about that well what does that mean well you know on the outside I didn't have sex I'm a virgin the initial subtitle of this book was a, the sexual memoir of a 50 year old virgin and so people can hear that and if you're not saved today it's a point of ridicule I think people are embarrassed to admit their virgins in our era imagine like people joke if you're a virgin at 20 imagine if you're admitting you're a virgin at 50 that's if you don't know Christ but if you believe in the God of the Bible and you submit to the teaching of scripture then you might be like oh wow she's not married she hasn't had sex that's incredible nobody's doing that anymore and you'll sort of elevate these people maybe if you honor God and his word you might elevate that person but that doesn't again you're focused on 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 things that our culture has construed when what, what God sees is past that to your heart. And ultimately, and I think John Piper has impacted my teachings, my life and my, his teachings have impacted my life deeply. And one of the things that he has said in the, that I've listened to again and again in the last six months is this concept that all sin is rooted in disbelief. And so when it comes to like even living out your sexuality and what we how we do it whether it's in your thought life in what you see in what you allow yourself to see because now you have access to everything on a small phone you know or in reality like relationships that you have that you shouldn't have the spectrum of sexual sin is wide and it's 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 equal opportunity sexual sin hetero homo it doesn't matter like it's everyone has uh, some area of 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 lust of the flesh and Uh, and, And Piper's point is that all sin is rooted in disbelief. And as I've grown in my Christian walk, and I think what has been challenging between when I was 15 or 25 or now in my 50s is this reality that though our faith in God ought to be stronger with time, the battle for faith has become or can be increasingly difficult. And the more you struggle with believing God's goodness in your life, the harder it is to be free of all sin, because all sin is rooted in disbelief. And so you could tell yourself, well, I don't have a sexual problem because I'm a virgin or because I am not having premarital sex or because I'm not cheating on my spouse or because I'm not watching porn, but everyone knows ourselves. Everyone knows what you deal with and how you numb the pain in your life. And I guarantee you that right now, 2023, and the last, I'd say, five years, Christians In the united states are hurting they might have been hurting before but i think the level of pain now you say how do i know well it's all over we know the numbers of people who are suffering from depression and anxiety are through the roof compared to before we know that people are lonely through the roof the new york times writes about that every other week i mean this is well known not just outside of the church but in the church as well we know the porn addiction rates we know the porn addiction rates in the church we know these are not secrets. We know we're hurting when Christians in the United States have completely changed what we believe. So many churches have changed what we believe about God's Word because we wanted to fit our comfort zone of what we're doing and what we're not doing. And all of it is rooted in some level of disbelief in what in God's goodness. And for me, I think that theme, was evident as I wrote my last book on deconstruction, where I felt that the greatest source of my pain was the local church. And I believe in an era where people are less church going than they've ever been. And where people are, le- even if they go to church, they're less committed to church than they've ever been. I think there is, it should not be a surprise to us that deconstruction and sexual sin go hand in hand. It is, its simply a natural product of hurt to turn to what satisfies the flesh to feel better for a moment because you're deeply wounded inside over people that shouldn't have wounded you. And I think that is a crisis in our churches right now. And that may be an explanation, this, this weird, you know, this community, lack of community that we have with other Christians that has fed the problem of just turning to whatever feels good in the moment to, uh, Feel less bad about what really hurts you in your life, and so those well, are the themes that God has been teaching me in the last few years. That I've, I think I've I've tried to explain in a, I think in a in a much better fashion in the book. So, well, but you, I know it's a you, lot.
0: I can tell. I can tell after reading the book and just hearing you that there that, that, that God has been doing a work and the way that it is working it out is you're not only vulnerable about the the sexual temptation that you've struggled with uh, since you were a child but also yeah. you're dealing with the Christian hustle addict and as I think about you, because yeah. I've known you I've known you for a long time. I remember the first time I think I ever first time I met you was at a National Religious Broadcasters. And you mm. you you talked so fast and your mind went so quickly and you were so on top of everything and you were taking all these, you know, the trips and the ministry and you're doing the, the ER doctor thing and it was just like, Wow, this is you know, this here's somebody who is doing just a lot in the world and you're so vulnerable in the book that you said you stayed busy so that you wouldn't have to think about some of the things that you were, de- the, the the places in your life that were wounded so that you could, you know, the busyness save that, didn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, no doubt about it. I mean, again, all these, it's funny how you, you know, God puts us in eras and times and he writes stories in our life. And I think it's not a surprise, all of these things, the fact that I was in a mega church that honored Over busyness for years. It was I I think our Christian culture in general to this day, mega church or not, I think we honor this. Oh, you're serving Jesus, you're doing so much. There's such a sense of bravo to people who are, you know, stretching themselves thin for Jesus. So that you know, now the you know, so many authors that now impact me are authors like who are who are really pushing against that and saying what we really need is silence and solitude with God. And what we know, I mean, I didn't, you know, all of us know what's right, right? But we just ignore it because because it feels good to be lauded by others. It feels good to be told you're great. Everybody wants to be affirmed. And you have to find your affirmation somewhere. And if it comes from serving Jesus, what's better than that? But but it doesn't satisfy you to be doing, 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 doing. And so what we do when when we're dissatisfied is turn to what feels good. And so, again, it there are so many ways we do it. Some people give in to binge eating. Other people binge watch movies. And, they, and I don't think I, that is not honoring to God. And you can go, you could literally spend a week watching a show minute after minute. And that is not right. You could end up reading you know, romance and fiction, which is a little bit in the vein of what I've struggled with in my life because of a lot of different reasons. You could end up watching porn because it moves you away from reality for a, mile, for a while, or you could end up finding it in the re- actual relationship with someone outside of the reality of your life, be it in a massage parlor as some have done, or in an actual you know affair because it, you it allows you to escape for a moment and, and on and on or other addictions or you drink or you you know use drugs or whatever it is, now we it's okay to smoke pot and so that might be a release. and so we have so many ways of dealing with that and, and a lot of us think well I would never do that And yet, the statistics show just looking at porn as an example that i mean shocking statistics of even let me let me just pick on one without getting into the men which which are really high but only 13% of self-identified christian women say they never watch porn that means 87% of christian women have watched porn now that doesn't mean they're watching it regularly but but that's huge Think about that. That's the the, the, fifty-five percent of married men, twenty-five percent of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. Like so, the numbers betray us. Sixty-eight percent of church-going men and more than fifty percent of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Okay, I'm. and, And the book isn't about porn. The book is about all of the things that we turn to in order to numb the boredom and the pain and the hurt in our life because it takes a lot of work to find healing. It has taken me a lot of work to get to the place where A, I'm willing to admit that there's pain and B, to find healing, which is not a surprise to God that my ministry's vision and mission is to bring hope and, her- and healing to the hurting. Mm-hmm. I've done it to Syrian refugees. I've done it with the Lebanese, with the Ukrainian refugees. And now, as best as I can, I wanna to continue to do it with the lives of American men and women in the church who have committed to follow Jesus, who look around them and say, man, is this it? Is this the life we signed up for? Because it just doesn't feel as exciting and as fulfilling as we want it to be. And and the truth is that it is. We just don't know how to get there. And we haven't dealt with what hurts us so that we keep falling back in the same trap of disappointment Sin, hustle, repeat, on and on, these cycles of failure. And the more you fail, the less you believe God's power to change you. And then you kind of go, where is this God and who is this God? Well, I'll tell you what, he's not gone anywhere. And he loves you, and his word is true, and all the things we've heard about him are indeed true. If you just give him a chance to step in and do things his way for a change.
0: That's Dr. Liener Abujamra, and we're going to continue. I'm going to give you our phone number, and maybe there's somebody listening today, and you feel like, you know, I know this thing in my life is sinful, but it's been here for so long, and I keep going, and it's, I'm just never going to change. There is no freedom from this. I'm, I'm stuck here. Is that what you're struggling with? I want to hear Uh, And and maybe you want to uh, send us an email, and we'll keep you anonymous, or just tell Tricia what you want uh, to say if you don't want your voice to be on the radio, 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. But our main prayer before the program today was for that, freedom. Freedom from the Slavery, because that's what sin really is. It is enslaving, and what we need is not just behavior modification and then the ability to say no and no and oops, and it's the ability for intimacy with God himself. That's what Lena talks about in Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This. Our featured resource today at chrisbabrylive.org. talking about sexual temptation today, the shame and the guilt associated with it. Imagine you find yourself pregnant. You're not married. You don't know what to do. You're getting pressure to have an abortion, but you don't want to, but you don't see a way out. Imagine the weight of that. And then imagine what it's like to talk with somebody on the other end, who's not judging you, who is caring, who's compassionate, a counselor, who is at the National Pregnancy Decision Line right now? CareNet is a pro-abundant life ministry that wants to see life for the baby absolutely, but also life for the pregnant mom and life for the father of that baby, life for everybody who's involved. You can find out more about them, the Pregnancy Decision Line, and the ministry of CareNet by clicking the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org. Right now, I just went to the uh, website, there's a pledge you can sign against the National Abortion Hotline, which is kind of the antithesis of what CARENET does. You'll see more about that when you click through today. Go to chrisfabrylive.org and click CARENET today. Dr. Lena abu is with us today. She's written a really vulnerable book. And I'll say again to parents, if you have kids in the, you're just tuning in, you have kids in the the car with you or in your house. Um, Don't tell anyone you're reading this is about sex, shame, and other troublesome issues, and we're going to talk about it. So just wanted you to know that. Tell me, Lena, what happened when you sat down with your counselor? You had decided this is going to be the day when I tell my counselor my besetting sin, what I have struggled with for decades at that point, I think. What went through yeah, your mind and how'd you t- talk about that?
1: Well, and well, in a minute, we we'll, it's, it's it's not that it finishes. You have ongoing, the temptations don't stop. The struggle doesn't stop. I think this is the naive part of of, of so many Christians like Mike. Like, I think you think that it's eventually going to stop and that's victory. Victory is not that temptation stops or that the struggle becomes easier. Victory is that you learn where to turn. But you can't do that until you are able to, process what's going on and why you're doing what you're doing. And which is why I spend a lot of times in the book talking about the why, but you know, so, so, I mean, my scenario, practically speaking, you know, you're like many people probably who um, go to church you, you there's always one or two areas that we struggle with you know it's always like the guy who loses his patience it's his you know anger issues or you got the person who you know might d- d- whatever sin areas you know drinking you know or 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 porn you know or whatever sin area that we gravitate towards or maybe your sin areas that you don't give yourself to your spouse and that's you know that's the way you control situations and so you go to church and the pastor preaches about it and 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 and, and they preach about sin and you raise your hand and you want to change and and so that's like my story You know, I wanted to honor the Lord. And I I went, you know, I started a ministry. I'm teaching the Bible. But like there's this little, by God's grace, my sin didn't become, you know, there's, like you mentioned just now, the woman who finds herself pregnant. Honestly, it's just circumstances that I didn't find myself in that. If I had the right circumstances, I might be that person in that story. But so you live your life sort of with this bear on your shoulder, constantly telling you you're not enough, that, you know, all the bad things that are happening in your life are because of that sin area in your life, whatever it is. And it can be... Worse than others or less than others. It doesn't matter. This isn't about comparing sins to others. It is the reality of our conscience, whether it's in tune with God or just, you know, under the condemnation of the evil one, telling you you're never good enough, you don't deserve, you constantly interpret things by that sin. And you confess and you try to change and you fail. And you tell yourself, I wish there was someone I could tell, but who to tell? And the longer you wait, the more you're spiritual resume grows, the harder it is to be, to tell because who do you become like embarrassed and ashamed and you can hardly look at people and say it. And, and also because a lot of us, it's like sort of disgusting. Like you tell, you know, the things that you struggle with, you're ashamed of because they're also like, sometimes they're dirtier than you ever thought you would think and do. And, and you might gloss over it. You might very much, I mean, who hasn't gone to a young adult or teen, you know, group and they raise their hand, I'm struggling with lust. You know, of course, every teenager struggles with lust. Like, it's like you roll, your, you roll your eyes and you move on or the men in the Celebrate Recovery group. You know, I mean, there's like some things that we've also made respectable in a certain way in the church. But, but you're not really hitting those things that make you really ashamed. And so I went to therapy for something else. I went to therapy for a number of things. There was um, I, I was in that stage of deconstruction in my life, which was really when I was wrestling with God over his church and, and, and my relationship with his church because I was hurt by a pastor who had imploded and his leadership and his... His failure really affected the way that I see God and I believe God. And I wrote Fractured Faith with Moody Publishers uh, about that topic. That book has touched so many people. I'm so grateful for the the, the second half of the story there, but those years were hard. And part of going to counseling was to deal with that. But also I had some other personal family stuff that I needed to work through. And, And I, but I knew when I started going, That there was a thing beneath the thing, and I—it's like anything. I started walking closer to the thing beneath the thing, and I then I, you know, after weeks, even months, I I started talking about my personal life and the, you know, my own prior broken engagements and also the loss of a of a person that I thought I would marry back in my twenties that had hurt me far more than I had processed or accepted that it had, and and I started getting closer to the fire. And, you know, you test the waters when you're confessing both to God, you know, God knows, but you're also now wanting to come out of hiding. And the closer I I tested the waters, the more I realized, like, I am the one who's going to have to do this work. No one's going to do it for me. No one else knows, but I'm the one who's trapped in this, in this prison. And, and and, and you know, the beauty of therapy, and why I think if you don't have funds to go to therapy, learn from what I learned. That's why I write books because not everybody can have the luxury of going to therapy, but it helped me because it created a safe environment in an era where I did not have that in the local church, but also I didn't find that in the local church for all the years that I was in small group ministry and local church. Maybe that I was part of the problem, maybe I didn't know how to. Talk about these things. But maybe some of it was the way that we have set up our fellowship slash accountability hours in the local church, which I do talk about in the book. I think that's, I think we don't do it well. And so I didn't feel safety, whereas in counseling, because it's a confidential relationship, because I had a year or a year and a half into the relationship, I felt safe. I finally took a risk of coming clean and i remember even now i talk about it i remember how ashamed i was to admit the worst and honestly chris i want to tell you something honest as much as i i confessed at the time i had already asked god to forgive me a million times before i knew I was i knew god had forgiven me jesus had paid the price for my sin but i still felt like there was a hidden area because i didn't i felt like there was something that if people found out i would lose respect and standing and all the things that we think are important and even in those early sessions where I, I unfolded some of the stuff, do you know that when I sat down to write the book, I said it in a much more brutally honest way? I know My therapist hmm. was one of the first people that read the book. And I think she was probably, I laugh now, because I think she probably learned things reading the book that I was too ashamed to say out loud in the sessions. And yet that was the beginning of my true path to freedom, now, now, again, freedom is bought. by right. I don't want to be yes. any confusion. For, Jesus paid the price for my freedom. If I died 10 years ago, still mired in this pit, you know, or f- three years ago before I had written the book, I, my future would still be eternally secure. It's not that I spoke to my therapist that cleansed me. It's not that I wrote a book to let every human in the world know that cleansed me. What cleanses me, what has cleansed me, what continues to cleanse me is the shed blood of Jesus on the cross on my behalf. But what has freed me is being able to walk in the light both before God and before men and women and whoever reads the book. And the beauty of fighting temptation is that there's power in being in the light. I don't see Satan as power. And I say this cautiously because I think Satan is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But the temptation and the struggle does lose its strength when it's brought to the light. We know that. Scripture tells us that. And I have experienced it. That doesn't mean I don't have struggles that I need to crucify the flesh. I, I joke, I t- this is my, my favorite line now when I speak. I, I recently thought it up, and I now I say it every chance I get. But if crucifying yourself was easy, everybody would be doing it. But, but we're not. It's why we're changing our mind in the church about all sorts of sexual sin. We no longer want to... Draw the lines that God has drawn. It's easier for us to make circles and soften the blows of whatever it is that we think should match the culture and make us feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, uh, the only way for us to live in freedom is to line up with what God wants and to start telling the truth about who we are and what we are and how deeply redeemed we are because of Jesus.
0: Well, you're walking not only in the light, you're walking in grace, and you're not do- It's not the self effort that gets you free; it is His grace, and I can hear that coming through your voice. I want to. I want to read a question from our listener when we come back and get you to respond to it. You can find out more about Dr. Lena Abu Jamra and her latest at our website, ChrisFabryLive.org. Dr. Lena Abu-Jamra has written, Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This. The Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Again, to parents, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about this adult uh, sex, shame, and troublesome things here today. So just know that if you've got kids uh, around you. I want to ask this next question. I think there are a lot of people who are living under this weight, this guilt, this shame that you talked about. Lena and an anonymous caller said, what is wrong with self-gratification if there's no pornography involved? I'm not living a wild sexual life. I'm not married, but and I'm not hurting anybody with this, quote-unquote. What do I do with the, the desires and all of that? Why would self-gratification not be something that I should uh, follow?
1: Right. Right. I um, I have a chapter on the M word. Let's leave it at that. Self-gratification in the book that I think is almost worth the cost of the book, I think, to read it uh, because of and, and to really walk through sort of my, my perspective on it. And I think um, because I spent so much of my life in my 20s and my 30s scouring every... Possible thing that any Christian leader that I respected wrote about this, and the only, honestly, a lot of a lot of people have written about it. But but one who I think has impacted me was John Piper. He's written some really good stuff on it uh, ahead of his time, in a sense. And I and I get like he, you know, he's not everybody's favorite person in some circles, but on this, I think he hits it out of the park. But with that in mind, um, I think. At the end of the day, there are there is no verse that says thou shalt not self gratify per se. Now, now, granted. Christianity is about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. So, you know, in a way, the moment you hear it described as self-gratification, there's something in you as a Christian that should say, wait, that's the opposite of, of Christianity. The Christian that I see Jesus describing is a Christian who gives up everything, who, who you know, the Samaritan, who, like, the least likely person who, like, gives of his own self and his money and, and, and his life and his time to take the person who should be his enemy and, and gives his life for himself. So I think there's something just theoretically, besides the practical, that you kind of go, wow, like if your whole goal is to self-gratify, and I think that's why sometimes that sin feels... Sinful because because it's like what is the center of your wor- world is it you or is it Jesus? But but apart from that, is you know you kind of look at Scripture and I think in my in my book I talk about the fact that you know at the end of the day there is some relief when you're struggling with that sin or what is could be potentially sin to, reala- to realize well maybe maybe it's not a sin if you're not thinking about certain things. There's a human body the the hormones do certain things you have to act out a certain way. But here's what I have found and I think most people who struggle with who are honest and who struggle with um, ongoing self-gratification is that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. We're not animals. We don't just wake up in the morning. You know, I mean, if that were the case, then marriage would like be so demeaning. Like if that's the only, like, and I, honestly, I think a lot of marriages struggle because that they're doing this act as a Bodily function? Well, it's not. Sex has never been just about the body. It's. it's and so this is why I think getting to the why is so critical. What I have found in my life that even though there has not been a verse that has come to my face that says this is right or this is wrong, I have had to address the why in my life. What is it that drives me to act a certain way? And if if it is anything related to doubting God's goodness for your life, it is. Any, if it is anything related to a lack in your life and need to find fulfillment outside of Christ, then it's sin for me. So if you are that person who's like, okay, you know, I'm just a bodily function. I don't ever have a sinful thought about anyone or anything. And I just feel good when I do it. Well, kudos to you. I had a guy Send me a long email on his theory of why I shouldn't feel guilty about certain things because and and it doesn't matter. I have respect for that and I understand that. But a, I think it's impossible to continue to stimulate oneself without the mind going places that are wrong, and eventually the eyes going places that are wrong, and and I think ultimately again you go back to this worldview. Are you living to gratify yourself or to gratify the Lord in a sense, and so to speak? And, and and I would push it a bit further to say, find someone, you, you know, like especially if you're a guy. I mean, I think still there's this, you know, I, I go back to sort of my book, Thrive, about singleness. I mean, if that's a single person who asked that question, I find I have a lot of compassion on, on single women because I don't think we're in a culture that still feels comfortable being the pursuer. And I actually think the men should pursue. And I know I will sound archaic and from the 1930s, but be that as it may, I believe like I already want to control everything. And so if I'm controlling, you know, going after a guy and asking them, first of all, I don't think it's biblical. I think the Bible advocates that the men be in, in that capacity, but that's a whole nother controversial, you know, conversation that Chris and I can have later. But regardless, if you're a guy and you're struggling with this, Go look for a woman. There's plenty of single women. Like, do what God has wired you to do. There is a place to do it. Myself included, if I find the right guy, I will get married. This isn't like, there's not like some single person out there who struggles with self gratification who's going, Oh, I love being single. I want to do this the rest of my life. And if you're married and you're doing this, it doesn't make sense because God has given you a better way. But it kind of comes back to this thought maybe self gratification isn't about the body just, maybe there's an emotional component that is bigger and deeper, and that needs more healing. And I've had to be honest in my life and understand that the times that I'm driven to spend more time in that arena have been times in my life where I'm hurting, disappointed, and frankly, not sure of whether God will come through for me in the areas that I want him to. And I've had to repent of that.
0: And that is where uh, you say, we, we haven't really talked a lot about shame and guilt, but you've said, I've lived most of my life ashamed. Uh, it's relentlessly pursued me. And then you go through these different things that have happened to you in your life, mm. uh, in your childhood, and and then one ballerina right. teacher said to you, you know, about your weight after you had had the surgery, and then a doctor said something to you that was just kind of an off the cuff thing, mm-hmm. and you wonder, what in the world, what was he thinking when he said these, you know, crushing words to you? You have to you have to deal with that shame and that guilt, right? Well
1: shame is interesting right because we we all have it because i mean sin brings in shame i mean the first thing adam and eve did after they sinned was hide right why did they hide because they were ashamed so we know that that's the ramification of sin and we also know we should know that satan will use shame to keep us from god and 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 that's why we don't tell anyone our stuff because we're ashamed god we know intuitively that god who sees everything who created everything knows those things so there's innately this i think when you're living with sin a sense of shame. So now you don't come to the one person who can heal you from shame, who is God, right? And so, because you're ashamed. And so so shame can become like this prison. And so what our culture has done with shame is deny it. Think about it. Now you can't shame anyone into anything. It's like, you, if, it, if there's any act that makes you feel ashamed, you say, oh, this, the reason you feel ashamed is because of the rules that were put upon you. That's what a lot of people now interpret. Oh, you're a Christian and you're ashamed. That's because you're living under some archaic rule book. Uh, maybe not. Maybe, first of all, maybe shame is an invitation to come into God's presence. It's a red flag in our system to say, well, why am I ashamed? Is it misplaced shame or is it rightly placed shame? And if it's rightly placed shame, then deal with it. And if it's misplaced shame, then throw it out the window. Look at the cross and embrace that grace, like you said earlier, Chris, that God has poured on you abundantly, that where sin abounded, grace abounds even more.
0: I think a lot of people, and you really address this so well, are just working so hard to please God. And if I don't do this or don't do that or don't look at this or do you know, then I then God likes me. And if I do, boy, God doesn't like me at all. Mm. And you say real change happens when we stop worrying about the outcome and start focusing on Jesus. It's the same thing that you're a counselor your therapist said what you're looking really for what you're really looking for is intimacy that's what we yeah. are really craving way down deep inside it as i said it's a really vulnerable book you have uh, gone, c- come clean in a way to redeem what god has brought you through and then free others so lena thank you for uh, spending the hour with us there's a lot of folks who've had questions here and i just wanted to really get into your story thanks for sharing your heart with us today
1: thanks for having me chris I appreciate it.
0: The book is Don't Tell Anyone You're Reading This, <laughs> A Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. Lean into that. Lean into some of the wounds and the pain and the struggle and see what God does in your heart. Thank you for listening. And come on back. We're going to side together on a Friday right here at the Radio Backyard Fence. Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.